welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Englert. We are here with our remarkable producer, Nathan Yoder, and my illustrious co-host, Aaron Mercer. Aaron, how you doing? I'm well. Good to be on the podcast with you, Peter. I know. I'm excited about this topic today. Well, folks, if we can't answer this question, then we have titled this podcast the wrong title. So we are asking the question, why ask why? We are here with our friend Travis Dickinson. He wrote the book Wandering Towards God, which is about doubt and some of our current topics that we're having about faith. And um, we're really looking forward to kind of asking this. And I think it's really important, Aaron, because... I think sometimes in the church, we've been either afraid to ask why, or we've felt judged to ask why, or there's just a number of feelings. And I think that this question really helps us realize the purpose of our podcast and even the purpose of growing and developing our faith. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this conversation. Um, I think that Travis has a lot of great insights for us. I'm looking forward to talking with him, but I, I, I agree, Peter. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's so many reasons to ask why and um you know sometimes people can feel nervous about asking why i think it's also it'll be interesting to talk about how do you ask why in a productive way mm. um that's also a, i think a, a good conversation point so anyhow we're, we don't want to have the whole podcast without talking to travis we really should include him in our conversation <laughs> so um but i know that uh, travis i know you and peter have talked a bit in the past but um you know this is the first time we're talking and i would love to just learn a little bit more about your story. Can you share a little bit with me and with our listeners more about um, how you how you came to be so uh, interested in this subject? And you know, give us some career story along the way too. You did a lot of a lot of studies as well. Yeah. So thanks so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this one. Um, yeah. So my story. So the book definitely comes out of my story. It it it's. Um, connects up a lot of my academic studies as well as my own sort of personal, you know, journey um, uh, uh, of faith and so on. So I grew up in a very, very, like very Christian home and, and not in a bad, like all in all good ways. My my folks were in the ministry. Uh, it was a ministry started by my great, great grandfather. <laughs> uh, my grandfather was the director of the of the ministry and my my parents my dad was something like assistant director or something and so um we went to church on sunday we went to christian school like i said it was pretty much like it's a sort of embarrassingly old age when i realized that other there were non-christians out there because my my (laughs) world was just so christian um and that was not again that's not a bad thing I, i grew up um getting to see people's lives changed by the gospel and it had a profound effect on me but it, it all kind of came crashing down a little bit for me, just intellectually, um, in seminary, actually. I was sitting in a seminary classroom, and it was a sort of religious studies course. And I just, I don't, I, I, it, it's hard to even articulate exactly what the objection was that I, that I dealt with, but it was, um, it was something like, why do I think, I grew up as a Christian, why should I think you know, it's sort of like, what's the chance that I would be believing the right view out of all this, like this huge catalog of different religious views? Like, what's the chance that I would have just been born into the right view? And, and what hit me was that I what I realized is I don't I don't believe that Christianity is true because it's true, if that makes mm. sense, on the basis of truth, on the basis of reason. 
um, I did believe it was true. And I, I very sincerely believed it was true. I'd given my life, I was going to seminaries, going headed into ministry and so on. Um, so I sincerely believe, but I realized that the basis of my belief was not truth. It was not reason and evidence and so on. And so this kind of really threw me. It was this very sudden thing where I was really, really struggling with that. And so for me, uh, I had to lean in, um, right? Uh, a lot of people sort of come to that crisis and they run away or they just sort of walk away. And and I think part of the reason for that is because the, the church, unfortunately, we don't have enough uh, podcasts like this one where the why questions are encouraged. Uh, I, what I say in the book and, and, and often say is that churches, unfortunately, just aren't safe places to mm. doubt your faith oftentimes. And I think that's a real shame. Um, I mean, it should be like where we run when we have doubts. Should, we should be running to church. And too often we're told to just sort of knock it off uh, or stop doubting as if that, you know, works. Um Right. It can work sometimes for a little while, but usually the doubts, at least for me, come back and they often bring friends um, and you're kind of in this worst place. And so anyway, but my story is I leaned into these uh, doubts and questions and and I found uh, a lot of evidence, <laughs> like lots and lots of evidence, lots and lots of answers to my questions. And it's not to say I've got everything figured out by any stretch. Um, and there was some really difficult wrestling and and kind of coming to that place but the the short story of it all is that i just found a lot of answers to my questions and real and and s sort of found myself with a much stronger faith and so the very thing that i think a lot of people are worried about when asking the why questions and when they are finding themselves struggling at doubt is that they're going to lose their faith and my story my testimony is in a way that look uh, it, it kind of provides us this, this awesome opportunity to lean in and find the truth and find knowledge. And as a result of that, you come to this place of greater faith. Um, and that's kind of the irony there. So, um, so yeah, I just sort of, you know, in, in that, you know, I just, it was so such a powerful experience that I really kind of devoted myself to this, you know, uh, pursuit. And, you know, some of us have the uh, great privilege to get paid uh, you know, not well, but, you know, get paid uh, to, to uh, pursue answers and to write and to, to teach. And so I get to, to now teach at Dallas Baptist University. Been here just a little over a year and uh, get to teach philosophy with a great, great group of students. I want to I want to back up, Aaron, if it's OK. Um, so you're if I if I hear you right, the inflection point for your doubt was. I just so happened to be born into, at the very least, a third generation Christian home. Like, what if I was born in India and became a Hindu? Or That's what if right. I was born in China and, you know, I was living the Confucian? So walk us through that, because I, I think that that's something, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious of how you kind of developed and kind of moved on, you know, from that. Yeah, as I've reflected you know, since then, of course, in the, in the moment, you know, it's hard to even articulate what you're feeling, much less get it all figured out. And so as I've reflected since then, I think it really was that it was sort of like as I'm learning about other religious traditions. And if I'm, you know, if, honestly, I think, too, that it felt in the seminary classroom setting that we were 
just sort of dogging on these other religious views and giving our Christian views a little bit of a pass. Now that might've just been me, but it, it kind of felt that way. And I think that does happen in Christian circles where we just sort of assume, you know, Christianity is true. And these other views are just, and you, and you almost in an almost mocking tone, like talk about these crazy beliefs that people have. And, you know, we don't realize what it sounds like when we start talking about the doctrine of the Trinity or, you know, the resurrection of Jesus or something, how crazy that might sound to others. And so I think what it, that was, that was definitely part of it is it just felt like we were giving ourselves a pass. And then I think what it, what it brought to mind for me was that I've been giving myself, I've been giving my own Christian view a pass for my whole life. Mm. And that, uh, you know, Again, it's that basis issue. Like, again, that's why this podcast is so perfect in a way. It's because I, for the first time, I think, genuinely asked why. Like, why do I believe? And as I took an honest look at that, I realized it was more to do with my parents, my family, um, right? Because there's a lot of pressures on ministry kids, especially and pastor's kids and missionary kids. Because it's a big deal if they were to say, hey, you know what? I just don't think I believe anymore. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't think I would have been turned out. In fact, I'm confident I wouldn't have been turned out from my home or my family or anything like that or ostracized. But it would have been a big deal, right? Mm. The great, great grandson of the founder has, you know, renounced Christianity or whatever in, in that circle, you know. And so there's a lot of pressure on pastor's kids and missionary kids to believe, and I think that there's, you know, you see a lot of a lot of these kids will walk away from the faith or at least struggle with their faith, I think, because they're not always led to believe again, as I said, on the basis of truth. And so it was that realization sitting in that seminary classroom was that the basis of my belief was like social pressure, family pressure, again, well-intentioned, but it wasn't because I knew it was true or had good reason to believe it was true. And um and so that's where I felt no different from someone growing up in a, say, Buddhist context or a Muslim context or something to that effect. And so I, that's where I had to ask why. Like, I had to say, like, why think this is true? And we can do that, you know, kind of in a Sunday school sort of attitude of like, yeah, why is this true? Uh, where we're all, you know, Christians sitting around sort of asking that lightly. And then I think we can ask that deeply where... Um, it's it's painful almost like mm -hmm. it's scary because we're now really asked like we're really asking um, um, where where there's the genuine possibility of saying like actually as I've looked into it, it turns out this isn't true um, that's the why question that I had to ask so I'm uh, I, I, as you've come along the way here that thank you for sharing all that by the way um, yeah but as you you've gone all the way I, I looked at your your bio before we started this and you've had You've had a number of degrees uh, that you, as you've been pursuing the answers, um, and uh, yeah. I, lo I loved how you framed it on your your web page about, you know, you didn't find all the answers there, so you went to get a degree somewhere. Else. I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> right. Um, right. But uh, you know what? You know, as you were going through that process, what's uh, I have a question about a, a couple different ways you might ask questions. You know, um, what was a question that you really uh, thought was a, a good question that kind of I don't want to say ruffled feathers, but like got people to off their kilter a little bit. So they had to think about things. 
um, whether it was in your seminary class or, or schooling after that. Maybe it's something you ask your students now. I don't know. Um, but uh, and also on the, on the flip side of that, what's a question that maybe you raised, maybe you didn't, but was really perhaps one of the most profound, um, deeply impactful for you as you wrestled with it along your faith journey? So maybe, I guess I'm just curious about it. You know, what are the, some of the nature of the questions that you've had over the yeah. years? Yeah. So the the irony for me was, I think, that the initial um, struggle turned out to not be very difficult because <laughs> as you look into other religious traditions, really quickly you find out that, uh, and I don't want to be, you know, too sweeping in what I'm going to say, but but um, I don't think you you don't have the the same emphasis on reason and evidence in say Eastern traditions, religious traditions, especially um, as you do in say Christian, the Christian tradition, right? So you have the apostle Paul in first Corinthians 15 saying that, look, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, our faith is literally in vain, like don't believe it. Uh, and so, uh, whereas, you know, so in a way you can sort of say like, well, then I have my task is to look, what's the evidence for the resurrection? Did this actually happen? Because if it's not, then I can sort of go do something else. And so whereas that same sort of like, um, you know, throwing down the gauntlet in a way that Paul does there in, in, in the chapter uh, does not occur in Eastern traditions. It's, it's not like, you know, there are apologetics departments you know, in Buddhist institution. I mean, maybe there are, but I, I, I didn't come across anything like that. And it was much more of an emphasis on like what worked for you or if you can find this sort of, you know, sort of clearer headspace or a kind of enlightenment or those sorts of things. And then even in like, say, uh, Islam and some of the other, you know, so-called Western traditions, um, I just found the evidence really inadequate. Um, what what they were pointing to just didn't just didn't move me. And again, like I, I recognize there's probably biases figuring in and so on. But when I tried to look at it, which I think everybody, you know, needs to do and so, sort of a big point of the book is to say, like, we really just need to ask questions about these views. And as much as I want Christians to ask why, I want Muslims to ask why and I want Mormons to ask why and I want, you know, uh, Buddhists and the rest uh, because Again, I, I just when I when I tried to look as honestly as I could, I just found the Christian view to uh, I almost it, it was kind of like it wasn't a fair fight, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It was sort of like the Christian view from its beginning has valued evidence and and reason and truth uh, and knowledge in a way that these other traditions just have it, and so so that one was fairly easy to kind of get to, but it was sort of like set me on this path to now ask these really big, uh, what I call big questions. And so I think one of the biggest um, is the hiddenness question. That's probably the one that I do come back to from time to time where the the, the worry is, uh, why isn't God more obvious? Mm. Um, right? If there is an all good, all powerful God that loves us and wants us to follow and believe in him, then you'd expect him to kind of be a little more obvious than he is. Like there's there's a sense in which he's hidden. 
And so that that's one that you know I have come back to from time to time, and um, and I uh, this ends up being a chapter in the book. So so the answer to the question is really the the um, the structure of the book is to set out the first six chapters talk about kind of how to do this well, not just doubt well. By the way, too, I, I want to say this too because there's there's a number of books out there on doubt, but the book is as much focused on how to ask questions, even if we're not doubting, as it is on. Um, you know, doubting and stuff. So it was definitely a book that I think will help someone who's struggling with doubt, but I, I hope to provide a way to just sort of approach faith. That's one of, you know, asking why again. <laughs> um, so then in, in the latter part of the book, I, I cover sort of, I try to model like what it would look like to ask some really big and deep and difficult questions. And the hiddenness one is one of them there. So, um, Aaron and I gave each other knuckles because our pastor is actually going to be preaching <laughs> that. on First yeah. Corinthians 15. So um, we'll, we'll take bingo where we can get it. That's his Easter passage. Go. So, so let me kind of take a specific situation. Um, so we're an hour outside of Buffalo, and okay. at the recording of this podcast, you know, every story, sports or not, is on Demar Hamlin. And for those listening to this years later. You know, DeMar Hamlin is this football player. It's in the middle of the Cincinnati game, gets literally tackled in the right spot. His heart stops. He literally dies on the field. They bring him back to life. You know, he's in the hospital in a coma. And everybody starts saying, we need to pray, like, pray for DeMar. And and it's funny because in culture right now, like, people will say things like thoughts and prayers aren't enough. So, like, everybody is saying pray for DeMar. And um, in praying for DeMar, um, you know, by the recording of this podcast, he's been taken from Cincinnati to Buffalo. Um, He's probably going to get let out of the hospital. You know, he has this, as our sportscasters say, this Disney moment um, where they he asks the question, who won? And the doctors are like, you won. You're alive. And so as I was thinking about this (laughs) podcast, I was thinking about that situation where we're recording this podcast when there's this like huge openness to prayer. And Mm -hmm. even as a pastor, I'll just be honest. It's like, this has happened before. Um, This is like, it's a crazy medical problem, but people have come back to it. But what I'm confused of, which I would need to talk to, if you didn't think thoughts and prayers were going to help, did it really help? Did you reason yourself out? I don't know process with me because maybe I'm doubting, maybe I'm one of your students because all like <laughs> thoughts and prayers weren't important over here, but they're important over right. here. And it seems like the doctors did their job and they did exceedingly well, but we're still praying. Right. Yeah. Um, we are definitely, we are definitely, so something that I think about a lot actually is especially connected to apologetics is to what degree do we need intellectual answers always? And, and I, I'll try to connect this up with what you're asking. Um, because I think that, you know, apologetics tends to major on like, let me get you 47 arguments with scientific evidence and historical evidence and all kinds of things. And there you go now, don't you believe? And, and people are saying no. Um, 
And I think that apologetics needs to just be deeper than that because I really, you know, and I think C.S. Lewis is, of course, you know, uh, patron saint of apologetics in a way and somebody that we look to. But he, he did do that side of it, but he also did imaginative stuff. And he he recognized as, you know, Pascal did, as Augustine did before him, that there really truly is a God-shaped whole I think in all of our hearts um, where we seem sort of fit, fitted uh, to, to, to sort of believe in God, to, to follow, you know, there, there is that, that just seems to be part of our human nature. And so I think that sort of response in a way of just, you know, people breaking out in prayer. I mean, I, as I, I didn't see this, but somebody mentioned to me that even on ESPN, the, the commentator said a prayer on national television for, uh, um, for Hamlin. And so, um, I, I, so one thing is, I think that, you know, there probably is a way in which people were wanting to just communicate their love and, and care for this, this player and so on. And, and how, what are you going to do? Just say, good luck, you know, hope, hope it works out. You know, like they're going to, some, mm-hmm. something that's a little more heartfelt is like, I'll pray for you. And, but I, I, I don't know, I guess, I guess part of me thinks that like that sort of natural, you know, it's, it's easy to say God doesn't exist and I'm an atheist and I'm this or that. And then, but do our, you know, do our lives reflect that worldview? And I just think, so often they don't. I mean, you know, there's the kind of like, uh, you know, difficult question I think every atheist needs to ask themselves is what would my life look like if I lived consistently with the non-existence of God? Mm. And if that means for them that there's no such thing as morality, if there's no such thing as meaning and purpose, um, you know, and then of course something like, you know, what's the point of prayer if, if you're atheist and so on? And um, I think that there's this, you know, issue of consistency, um, and, and a lot of people have pointed this out along the way. Um, uh, William Lane Craig has a great article. Actually, it's a chapter of his Reasonable Faith book that says um, the title is something like the the absurdity of life without God, and it's a really great essay. I recommend. It. I think you can find it online. Um, and he makes that point at a, at a certain point in that essay where he says, um, if you live consistently with your atheism, you'll be unhappy. Mm. But if you're happy, then you're going to have to live inconsistently with your atheism. Mm. And, and so anyway, I think that I really do think that reflects this way in which we have been sort of fitted uh, for, um, um, you know, following and worshiping God. It's just this sort of natural part that sort of comes out in us when we're not in the philosophy classroom or whatever, or wherever we would be, you know, defending atheism, we really just live like theists. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that that lends itself to the need to, at the very beginning, have to be able to ask why questions, even ask the question in the first place. I mean, what, yeah. whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, I mean, right. Uh, it's easy just not to think about things, but, um, when you so I, I am curious, you know, when you when you are having whether it was through your studies, you know, you've been to both, um, you've been you grew up in a Christian environment, you've been to Christian schools, you've been to um, secular schools, um, 
you know, you're teaching now, um, what have you seen as helpful for either yourself as you're trying to ask why questions or as you're helping others? I mean, who honestly, not people who don't want to think, um, but yeah, people sure. who, who have gotten to the point where they actually want to ask a why question, but how do you get yeah. them to ask a why question constructively? Like, how do you, I could imagine, you know, it's easy to ask a question sometimes and, and feel good that you asked the question. Um, mm -hmm. but it's a different thing to really be seeking an answer. Um, but yeah. at the same time, maybe not knowing how to get to that answer. How, how do you, how do you help this process along? How did you help yeah. yourself? Right. So first of all, what pe all, everybody needs to do is listen regularly to this podcast. <laughs> all right. <laughs> then now, um, right. So, yeah, I think one of the things that I always say is, um, that we need to take our time there's there's a way in which when we start to have these really difficult questions we feel like we've sort of stumbled on something and that like life needs to just you know go, grind to a halt while we get this figured out and i one of the most important points that i think i make or try to make is that faith and doubts um are not contrary states. So there, it, you can you can have 100% faith in the truth of Christianity and be doubting and have experiencing doubts. And so I try to motivate this possibility by thinking about getting on an airplane, um, right? Because there's a lot about an airplane that I don't understand. If I'm if I'm honest, like I, in fact, I probably know very little. I mean, I can kind of talk about lift, but that's it's going to be pretty elementary. And so um, I can imagine myself being in the airport, um, having some really serious doubts about how a craft made of metal that, you know, 747 weighs in at about a million pounds, how that can drive down a little road <laughs> and then lift off into the atmosphere and, and cruise at six miles off the planet, right? It's crazy. It's like crazy if you think about it. And so I could be having some serious doubts about that, but I always uh, think that, man, I could be sitting there doubting that that's a good idea. And then if they call, when they call my number, especially if we're headed to someplace fun, you know, with a beach and uh, that kind of thing, I'm getting on the airplane. In fact, I could be sitting on the airplane, um, doubting <laughs> the airplane. And I think that's a pretty beautiful picture of the Christian journey in a way, is that we, I mean, that's just, I, I really think par for the course in a way, like it is, it is part of discipleship that we would ask the deep and difficult questions. I think it's a crucial part of discipleship. But when you ask deep and difficult questions, it almost always causes some struggle, mm -hmm. right? And that's all I think doubt is, is just having some bit of intellectual struggle or tension where you're just kind of not sure how to navigate the answer. And, and you know, so one of the big things that I, I hope to do with the book and, and, and when I talk about this is diffuse a little bit, like the mm -hmm. pressure that we feel when we're doubting. Because I, I, I want to say, and I, I always try to work this in at some point in an interview, is to say, if for your listeners out there, that, that if they are doubting their faith, I want them to know that they're normal. Mm. Like that's that's part of that's part of discipleship. It's okay. Now we don't want to stay there, and that's that's the important thing. I think some you know sort of um, 
I don't know who they are, I guess like celebrity pastors or online uh, personalities are sometimes celebrating doubt, I think, too much, you know, as if that's the destination, as if that's the goal. And I want to say clearly that doubt is not the destination, but it is, it can be, uh, you know, to use that metaphor, it's, it can be an important stop off uh, along the journey sort of thing. And so um, it's okay. It's it's okay. In fact, probably if you're doubting your faith, um, right, you're probably more courageous in a way, like more honest than some of your peers, because I think it can be really lonely to doubt your faith too. You're sort of looking around wondering like, why aren't, why isn't everybody asking these questions? Like, why do they act acting like they've got it all figured out? Uh, and the reality is they don't have it all figured out, but they, you know, they may just not be quite as honest as you are uh, if you're asking these really deep and difficult questions. And so um, that's one of the big things that I'm trying to do is just to say it's, it's normal and it's okay. Uh, but we do need to lean into, to these questions. And so when, when we do, so, um, so the, the the first thing to say is to take your time, take it one step at a time, one question at a time. Don't try to get it all figured out, you know, by the weekend. Um, for, for me, some of these questions, like the hiddenness question, as I mentioned, or the problem of evil, like these are really big questions. And they're ones that I've wrestled with for probably now. I mean, it was about 20 years ago that I was in mm. seminary doubting my faith. And so it's it's been, I just, I think it was 2003. So yeah, it's 20 years ago officially um, that I've been wrestling and and I don't always, sometimes like, sometimes I feel like, okay, I think I've got a really good answer that other days it's sort of like, oh, no, I think I need to work on that some more. And so don't be in too much of a rush. The second thing is do it in community. Mm. I think that's really important and really powerful. And, and I have a real broad sense of community. So the absolute ideal is if you have somebody that's further along, uh, you know, a mature Christian who has gone through this, asked the same sorts of questions that will walk with you through it. That's ideal. I just don't think that's always, you know, uh, not everybody has that for them. Um, so there's a lot of books out there though. And, and there's a lot of books beyond, of course, just the book that I'm promoting today, uh, that you want to, you want that have asked these questions. And I, and I always say this to, to my students and to others that, man, the day and age we live in, there are so many resources out there now uh, along these lines, along, you know, sort of apologetics and and things. And I have heard people say this is sort of the golden age of apologetics because we just have so much and you have so much at so many different levels. So you, if you want to have like your, your, <laughs> the back of your head blown off by high academic, you know, just, you know, every sentence is a struggle you can find those books they're probably not the most popular but uh but you can also find some really great books that are much more accessible and you can even find books that are written for kids and teens and and others um I, there's even an iphone app i mean good grief right we've got a <laughs> lot of resources available to us today and so that's community too and so read the c.s lewis and and j warner wallace and william lane craig and others that have just such good resources out there and wa walk with them through these questions. I also do think that um, it's important to talk to people who believe differently. Mm. Um, now, be careful with that. Again, like sort of take that slowly and, and so on. But I think it is, it's been just so uh, helpful for me to talk to people who don't believe in Christianity or believe in a different religious tradition. Um, 
for me to say, well, like, here's how I think about this. What What do you think? And just not a debate. Not don't do this on Twitter. <laughs> it's not going to go well. Uh, do this as best you can face to face or or some context like that where you, where you can just sort of sit down as friends and dialogue partners and just share your respective positions. You're not trying to, you know, win a debate or anything like that. You're just trying to say, here's how I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And they give you their honest opinion. Like, that's just fun. I mean, honestly, that's good fun. And it's so helpful for kind of seeing where the gaps are, where the weak spots are and helping you to sort of shore up, um, you know, the the sort of basis for your beliefs and so on. Can I do a quick follow up, Peter, on that one? Yeah. What, uh, so how do you help your students? I mean, I feel like Twitter debates, for just to use a, yeah. a phrase, is so common in, in our culture now, not just on Twitter, but in other places too. Um, mm-hmm. How do you help your students um, or others who might come to you avoid that? Like, I feel like sometimes, um, you know, there can be worry about some questions that are asked more to make a point about the question itself versus actually mm-hmm. pursuing some sort of resolution. Like what, how do you help people get past that when it's so prevalent around us of just people spouting off in very short sentences, whatever it is they, they want yeah. to say. And can I add one thing to yeah. Aaron's point? Because like we've talked about deconstruction you know, you can even define that. Um, there's the mm-hmm. philosophical deconstruction, then there's this modern idea of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. But I feel like one of the things, and I say this more for our listeners to give them grace, is a lot of these questions that Aaron's even asking and you're asking and I'm asking, like they should have been done when you're 13 and 14 and mm-hmm. you're in this safe place. But we live in this time that like we have the Twitter spout offs and we mm-hmm. end up you know, they get to you and you're like, thanks pastors and school teachers and everybody. Yeah. Thank you for now. This is the first. So on to Aaron's question, which is about how do we do this? Well, not just on Twitter. I think that's what you were kind of asking. Yeah. And make it, so I guess it probably goes back to the productive conversation yeah. which you were already answering, but mm-hmm. I just, I wonder, um, you know, how you, how you can help people avoid that in the, in the context that we're in now. And I'd even add to that. How do you do yeah. it sooner? <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Do you want yeah. us to add any more questions well, on here? Because we can do that if we want. Yeah, to you got a P, you maybe, got a PhD. Maybe three more. There you go. <laughs> um, no, and let me say this before I forget, because I think this might be part of what Peter's asking. Um, one, you know, because we, my wife and I, we have four kids, and we're in the the teenager and preteen stage. So pray for us now. Uh, but we're we're in that stage, and so we are like living it, like we're right in the midst of it. And so one of the things that we do with our kids is we, you know, we try to have a kind of family time each day, you know, to end the day and just pray together. And uh, you know, if if we can work it in, we'll do a, a sort of devotional time and so on. And and we, one of the things my wife and I have just said over and over to them is like, look, any questions on the table, you can ask us any question. We, we don't ever want them to get out of our home and, you know, going to college or whatever else and, and feel like they weren't able to ask us. Mm-hmm. And so they will ask some wild questions. Sometimes they won't ask anything and it's just, you know, they just want to go to bed kind of thing. But, um, 
but they will ask some wild questions and we have some, and we just have tried to discuss it as a family and, um, and that kind of thing. Um, the other thing is with my kids, I really, uh, it's a goal of mine that they would not, um, be unaware of some of the bigger questions out there. And so I don't want them to find themselves on a college campus somewhere, say in a biology class. And all of a sudden somebody like brings up the problem of evil or something. And, uh, you know, and they just are surprised because they've never heard it before. Like I, I want those sort of major objections to feel really familiar, mm. uh, you know, it, it, because we, we have already led them, you know, it, again, not to say that they'll get it all figured out because they, they won't um, because they're just not that motivated right now. You know, things are pretty safe and, and good and so on. But again, I want it to feel familiar so that when they're in that place, they don't feel like, I've been lied to for my whole life. There are some really hard questions here and so on. Okay, so that's kind of the family thing. And I think how to do it sooner. I think it really goes best in the home. And of course, you know, for, you know, student pastors and and so on. I mean, if they're not doing some exposure to apologetics at some point, Right. They really need to think about that. And the really interesting thing, if you look at it statistically, so we have lots of students that get to college and they walk away from their faith. I mean, the, the numbers are just um, horrifying. It's something like 60 to 80 percent of students are walking away from the faith or walking away from the church, I should say, not necessarily the faith. Um, but they're just no longer attaching themselves to church in college. And there's Barna studies and all kinds of studies out there. Um, that that confirm that it is indeed that high. Um, but the really interesting thing is when they've studied, at what point do they decide to walk away? It's it's not high school. It's, it's actually junior high and even sometimes younger than that. Mm. And so in junior high, they are making the decision to walk away from the church in college. It happens in college, but it it's decided. So that should motivate every children's pastor, student pastor to make sure that, that, that it, it doesn't have to be all the time, of course, but that there are, you know, these seasons where you walk your students through uh, some of this material and just, and, and again, just allow for questions, bring in people that can, you know, handle them if, if the pastor doesn't feel comfortable doing it or a panel discussion or whatever, all those things are great. And I've been part of all those things and love doing them. Um, okay. Now to Twitter. <laughs> uh, so I think it is a real art, honestly, to be able to have a dialogue with someone with whom you disagree. Um, and Twitter, again, is the opposite of that. Uh, it, it's it's kind of how to have a bad conversation because you you can't know, you know, somebody's sort of uh, tone and and the way that they're saying it, what they're emphasizing, and it's it's just like set up to be misunderstood and to get. I, I always make the joke that uh, when when you read Twitter and and other social media sites, it's it feels like someone's yelling at you always, <laughs> just because of how it's set up. Like, are you yelling at me? You know, um, so. I think it. I I would just recommend to not have th those discussions on social media, probably, because I just don't think that they typically go well. And I have, 
I have had a few people that I, I tried to sort of have that conversation with and it ended badly and, you know, we don't no longer are necessarily connected. And so that's, that's a real shame. Um, so I think it's, it's just better to do that in, in person, either, you know, um, face to face, of course, is best. Uh, I usually like to have a cup of coffee involved in that mix, um, you know, or on the phone or zoom call or, or whatever. Um, and one of the most important things I think is to um, ask questions, to listen and ask questions. And so when we, the reason why, you know, I, I like watching debates, you know, when it's like, you know, a Christian or atheist or whoever, I like watching those and they can be really informative and so on. But the, the reality is they almost never convince anybody, even of like smaller, <laughs> you know, kind of like smaller points that they almost should agree with. They still don't even agree with those points. Um, but when somebody can, you know, when you just sit down with someone and they say, here's my view, here's my thoughts. And then you say, well, what, why do you think that? Or, or how do you connect this and that? And so on, like, that is just so fun. Again, it's like, that's, that's what we do. That's what we should be doing with people. That's just how to have a relationship in a way with people. And we absolutely should. And, and again, I don't think, I, I think, again, going back to my story, one of the things that I think I was just so pleasantly shocked by was how well Christianity did with like the, the really solid answers that, that Christianity has for life's biggest questions. Um, Right. I think they I think we have really, really compelling answers to the big questions of life. And the shame of it is, again, is that a lot of people just couldn't answer some of these questions. They just haven't thought about it or don't know. Um, but, man, when you get to that place where you've kind of drank deeply uh, of in, in these sources and, and uh, wrestled with them yourselves and, and walked through it and then somebody asks you, Hey, what do you think about the problem of evil? And, you, and again, not debate setting, but a, a dialogue setting. That is just, I think, a very powerful apologetic to just walk through. Hey, in my own life, I've struggled with it in the following ways. And here's the answers that I've kind of come out with. And what do you think? And, and, and as they say, and having follow up questions and trying to clarify and letting them ask you questions and just having that back and forth. Like I said, it's just good fun and it's really powerful in our lives. You know, it, it's interesting as you talk about Twitter versus um, just being in person and coffee, because yeah. one of the reasons we started this podcast was uh, we used to have classes and they actually went terrible. Um, like I would get the emails. And what's funny is we've talked a lot about the topics we talked about in those classes. And there's a part of me that wonders, like, with this format, if allowing someone to have the longer form conversation and listening yeah. to it, people are more open, um, you know, and there's two listeners, Mike and Carla, they tell me, they're like, yeah, we listen to the podcast and sometimes we pause it and we start fighting with each other, but we love yeah. Mike and Carla. <laughs> but where I kind of want to go with that um, is, you know, there's a gentleman who, uh, he sent me a Twitter message about seven years ago and he said, why did God kill people in the old Testament? And so I mm -hmm. said, Hey, I can't answer this on a DM. Let's have coffee. So yeah. I sit down with him and 
you know, I want to give credit to the Holy Spirit because as I was getting to know him, I was listening to him and I just said, hey, where did that question come from? And yes. he's like, I've been divorced two times. I've had two affairs. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I guess I'd be curious if in your experience and even our, 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 our episode title, Why Ask Why? Like if yeah. we're not asking the deeper why, because it's like, hey, why do you care so much about the Old Testament, like people being killed? And it's like, oh, mm -hmm. there's a direct line. And I think the way I want you to kind of answer that is, you know, before we started recording the show, you had talked about personally, you were having all these questions. I think you mentioned you were in a long distance relationship. You lived in like mm -hmm. a, a back shed of a church or something <laughs> yes. like that. You're studying all of that. Yeah. Like, how do we even go deeper to the why of, hey, can I listen to my life right now that maybe this yeah. question isn't about the question? Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really good because um, I think um, I think it's very – this goes back to the point made earlier just that, you know, though we are intellectual beings and, and the intellect is important and rationality is crucially important – um, there's almost always more going on than just that. And, and if we're honest, I, I think that's, you know, a lot of times people will make that point for on the atheist side um, that there's almost always some hurt somewhere. It's a pastor or an overbearing parent who, you know, raised the kid in the church and whatever. And that it's almost always some, or, or dad's MIA, you know, something to that effect. And but I think also, too, like on the Christian side, I think, you know, there's probably, if we're honest, again, there's lots of reasons why we we come to Christ that probably go far beyond any sort of intellectual thing. So, and that's just to make the point that we almost never just ask these questions in the total abstract, you know, the way in which the question reads. And I think you make a really great point especially with something like the old testament violence and so on and 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 there is a legit question to be asked there that's an intellectual question and it too is a chapter in the book but anyway um right so, and that's that's another one that i that I definitely have you know sort of wrestled with as well but um but yeah sometimes there's so much going on underneath that if we don't address what's going underneath we can address the the question all day long um, and never get to that, to, to really the core of it, you know, the real why question. And so, um, yeah, I think that, um, I think that, yeah, I think that's where that dialogue setting is just so important that we're, we're not just talking about you know, kind of having an intellectual exchange, but there's a kind of friendship there that um, we can we can know that person, know what's going on in their lives, and, and kind of get down to that that deeper level. I think that's I think that's really really great. Did that happen for you in your season of doubt? Did you have people that like you reached out to that you felt? I mean, you're commuting alone, you're living alone. Like, what did yeah. that look like for you? Yeah, for me, I, I didn't really. In fact, I, I did this uh, quite a lot by myself. That's probably one reason why I 
emphasize the books and the you know broader community like I do because for me again I think doubts just make us feel lonely to start with there's some sort of um, loneliness often attached with it where we feel like we've sort of stumbled on this smoking gun that nobody else has you know found or whatever and you know why isn't anybody else struggling with this and that kind of thing and but I really went at it alone so in my own story so I went at it with books and you know this is sort of I mean, the internet was around, but it wasn't like it, it wasn't YouTube. I, I don't think at that in 2003. Um, but I did have, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, this will really date me, but, um, uh, lectures on tape. It was actually cassette <laughs> tapes, which that was a little outdated, you know, to start with. I'm not even sure my car had a tape player at that point, but anyway, um, I listened to these, I guess I had a, I don't know if I had a walk. I don't know how I listened to it, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> and I, I just had all these apologetics um, tapes and I, I, I listened to all of them and, you know, multiple times. And so for me, it really was more that, but um, sort of in that journey, I definitely had to dig into kind of my upbringing and the experience in the ministry because there's there's some dark moments in, in my family's you know journey in that as as again most families have that that have been in the ministry for their you know kind of lives and careers and things and um, so that was definitely a big part of it for me too was like I, I don't know that there was a lot of direct connections to the exact doubts that I was having but. It was really, I think, if I could say it this way, I think it was making my faith my own mm -hmm. rather than just sort of borrowing, you know, the faith of my parents or the faith of my family in a way. And um, so I think digging into kind of that sort of broader emotional sort of uh, junk, if I, you know, uh, it was definitely part of that side of it. Yeah. Is there a... Um... Is there someone along the way that you've, through your studies or, or the work you're doing now, who you have found who um, maybe you feel like there's a question in you or maybe your students have felt there's a question in them and they're looking for the right way to ask it or um, not? I mean, is there someone who's asked good questions that you've, it doesn't have to be someone you've met, but like a book that you've read or you mentioned C.S. Lewis. I'd love to know like if there's a book you mm -hmm. recommend there, but are there other are there other people who have gone before um, who can help us frame questions um, and, and get us on the right path when we want to ask why? Yeah, yeah I think any C.S. Lewis is good. He, he's kind of in that, um, in that world where he was so captivated by Christianity. Mm. Uh, really, it's the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christianity. That's the kind of moving on from this, the intellectual and the rational that um, even the, you know, Chronicles of Narnia and places, I think he's, that's always kind of what he's about is sort of pointing people to the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christianity in a way. And so I think any C.S. Lewis is good. One book that I have definitely, that was helpful for me along the way, um, I mean, it kind of came a little later, but I, I just loved it, was um, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, mm -hmm. is a good one. He, he spends the first half of the book um, talking about the objections he's gotten over the years as a pastor in New York City, you know, with these sort of kind of elite uh you know, minds, uh, you know, just top business people and, and professors and university people and so on. And, 
And so and I, th I think he just deals with it really well in a really accessible way in a real sort of pastoral way. So I think, I think that's a good book for sort of pursuing these things. Um, another book that I think is really good is uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, I think it is, um, called Confronting Christianity. And, and she, she does a similar thing where she lays out certain um, questions and, and, and that sort of thing that um, need to be answered. So those are some resources. Thank you. Wow, we, we've had a lot of fun. And just a reminder, you know, we're suggesting resources next to Tim Keller, Rebecca McLaughlin, Travis Dickinson, Wandering Towards God. Yeah, don't uh, forget, let's not forget the book that we're talking about. Today. That's, right, that's right, that's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, segues are for rookies. Um, but um, so you can use the code YGOD. Um, it'll give you a discount uh, at IVP Press. We'll be sharing that link. So, Travis, we close every episode uh, with a question, uh, and the question has to do, what does Jesus have to say about asking why? So the good news is, just like a great professor, Aaron and I are going to answer this question, and then you get to clean up whatever mess. Does that sound good? Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get to be the professor who who cleans up what we do, not just leave us like, you know, flailing. That's <laughs> good. Um, no, uh, do you want me to start, Peter, or do you want to? You were, you were, you were in a role, man. I'm okay, well, I, I uh, no, I love this conversation, um, and I loved that you brought up C.S. Lewis, by the way. He's one of my favorite authors also. And, um, you know, what would Jesus have to say about this? I, I think that, you know, I think our Jesus wants us to be asking questions. How many times did in the course of uh, his earthly ministry, did he ask people questions or turn questions mm -hmm. around and make people think in different ways? You know, there's, I don't think, I don't think God is afraid of questions. Um, in fact, I think he wants us to ask questions. And um, I loved uh, how Travis was talking about how questions don't mean we just throw everything out the window um, or all of life has to stop on a dime. It's something you can wrestle with. And I think God wants us to investigate um he wants to investigate the the world around us he also wants to investigate um ideas and um and 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 things that he's put in in place so i i think that uh i don't think jesus is afraid of questions is is what i think and i and i i loved um i'll just throw in too my little plug too i i love um i, I thank you that for your book here i'm really uh, would love to dig in more um also I mean, I love that you mentioned Mere Christ or C.S. Lewis because I love that book, Mere Christianity. I think that's a place where mm -hmm. a lot, of, at least a starting point for um, that's a good some of these questions place, yeah. too. Yeah. So, anyways, Peter, go ahead. You we'll let the pastor clean up me, and then the professor can take it from there. <laughs> He's like, I'm already cleaning up for all the ways pastors have messed up students. But uh, um, you know, so currently I'm reading this book uh, called Risen Indeed by my friend Austin mm -hmm. Bush, and it's about the book of Mark. And I don't think many people know this, like they actually added verses on at the end of Mark because it just ends with, you know, there's no clear resurrection or something like that. You have to read it for yourself, the book of Mark. You can read Austin's book too, but you know, he talks about like one of the founding premises of Mark is this, um, this man is asking for his son to be healed and Jesus asks them, yeah hey, do you want your son to be healed? And he's like, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I just bring up that glimpse of Mark because there's a whole lot more textually that scholars 
but I, I just want our listeners to know, like the Bible assumes us asking the tough questions. The Bible assumes us doubting. And I, I'll dare say it, like the Bible assumes even a little bit of deconstruction because the premise and this idea of even this gospel of Jesus is like the author seems to have a lot of questions. And mm -hmm. if there's any religious system or faith tradition that should be encouraging why it's Christianity, we're, mm -hmm. we live on the basis of like these two theological points that um, Jesus was born from a virgin and he was raised to dead. I mean, if you can't go with the deeper questions and kind of doubt that, um, yeah. what are we doing here? And so I, I yeah. just, I want to leave our listeners with why ask why, because Christianity welcomes it. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think you guys did a good job. So let me just add to not need to clean up anything. Um, yeah, the interesting thing too with that passage that is, you know, the classic, you know, I believe but help my unbelief. The cool thing is too that Jesus indeed helps his unbelief. Mm -hmm. He he heals his son, and, you know, and so on. And so um I do think that that's right that it's that you see a real difference. Maybe I'll put it this way. You see a difference in scripture of questions that are asked to make trouble or sort of be, um, you know, in a way I, I, in the book, I put it as being a skeptic and, and I, that word can mean a lot of different things. But the, what I mean by it is when we are just asking questions, either to ask questions or to avoid ever believing anything. Um, that's the sort of skepticism that I have in mind there. And, and I don't think the Bible has, you know, it's, it's does, definitely doesn't recommend that, but the sort of honest crying out to God, how does this make any sense whatsoever <laughs> kinds of questions are really from cover to cover. And I mean, you read the book of Psalm, you know, the, the Psalms and I mean, the questions that are asked are like, God, where are you? Mm. <laughs> like, where are you in this? Like there's this deep suffering or I'm at the, you know, the mercy of, of my enemies and where are you? And it's, these really difficult um, expressing and articulating these really, you know, big questions. And I don't get the sense that there's, that's wrong to do. In fact, that's the kind of point is that, that we're coming to God um, in need of his answer, in need of help, uh, help my unbelief. And, and, and there's other people in Jesus's life uh, in ministry that were asking questions that were just trying to trip him up or trap him, of course, the Pharisees and others. And he didn't have a lot of patience for that, of course. But um, but those that asked honest questions like the Mark passage and, and other places, um, Jesus will stop everything at mm. times and, and try to, you know, help in a way. And so, and then I love the passage in... Um, I want to say it's Jude one twenty two, where Jude tells his audience, it's the church, to have mercy on those who doubt. And what's interesting about that too is the the context of that passage, because earlier in the passage, um, he's condemning these sort of troublemakers. I mean, with the strongest language you could possibly imagine, he's like equating them with Sodom and Gomorrah and you know this stuff. And then and then at the end of it, he says but have mercy on those who doubt. 
and says, um, you know, to him who is able to to cause you to stand, mm -hmm. uh, to stand firm and so on. And and I think it's a beautiful picture. And I think he he probably has something like doubters in mind there and that that great sort of uh, admonition and so on. And so, yeah, I think Jesus specifically, um, he welcomed those who were intellectually curious. Um, and maybe just a way to close it off, I, you know, when Jesus was asked himself, what's the most important command? What's the greatest commandment? You know, uh, and again, that was intended to be a challenge. And it is sort of a challenge because if you've read the Old Testament, you know, there's lots of <laughs> lots of commands. And so Jesus is is being uh, you know told to pick one and, and it's trying to trap him with whatever he would choose. And he says, uh, you know, with seemingly without hesitation, he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and notice with all of your mind. Mm -hmm. And so the way I, one of the things that I think was most meaningful for me in writing the book, to be honest with you, is that um, I think there really is a certain posture we should have as we do this and as we ask, as we, you know, why ask why, like as we ask the why questions. And the posture, as we see in that commandment, um, is one of love. Mm. And and I think sometimes we think, how is love and questioning? How do we put those together? Well, you know, I I teach here at Dallas Baptist University, and every you know freshman semester, you just see these couples, uh, you know, popping up all over the place where you know these guys and girls have fallen in love and. All they want to do is like just stare at each other, ask questions and know everything there is to know about each other. You can barely, you know, there could be a car crash like two feet from them and they don't even notice that kind of thing. Um, right. They're so deeply intellectual, you know, uh, there's lots of ways in which they're curious, but like intellectually curious um, that they are loving with their hearts, souls and minds. And I think the invitation there, if I could put it that way, is that we would we would pursue God with all of who we are, because it's heart, souls, and minds, not just our minds. But that should be a big part of it, is that we're asking these deep and difficult questions. Again, not as skeptics, not trying to trip God up, not trying to not believe, but to find truth in the pursuit of, of the knowledge and relationship coming out of a place of love. Like, that's way different than the, you know, what we might have in our minds is this like skeptical person who's just trying to be a nuisance. Um, no, we, why should we ask questions? Precisely because we love God. Mm. Precisely because we're in pursuit of him and want to know him in this deep and full way. Wow. So <clears throat> friends, make sure you find the book uh, Wandering Towards God by Travis Dickinson. Um, and then you can use the code YGOD for a discount at IVP. We'll be sharing that with you. Travis, where's the best place people can find you? Probably my website is the best. It's just my first and last name.com. So Travis Dickinson, uh, and that's D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N dot uh, com. And you can kind of get all my, and I, I blog there and have a newsletter and things like that. that and there's even a free book download that they can get. Uh, if they sign up for my newsletter. So, well, there you go. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Our website is whygotwhypodcast.com. You can click the subscribe, subscribe button. You can get this episode and many others. Thank you so much for joining us today.